0: your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter seven our last written in Aramaic chapter in the book of Daniel. Daniel becomes one of the critical books to be debated. Most, I would say this, this would be accurate, most churches, most denominations, most Christian um, assemblies teach that the book of Daniel is not prophetic to things in the future. It is account of things that have already happened. So the things that Daniel writes about are things that took part in time long ago. The problem with that is that one of the books found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were compiled and stored away a century and a half to two centuries before Christ, is the book of Daniel. And Daniel is writing about things that are future to that time very clearly. There's the biggest problem is a bigger problem than that. In um, Matthew 24, probably about verse 14, Jesus calls Daniel a prophet, and then he goes on to tell you what he prophesies in the distant future to Jesus. So with the Dead Sea Scrolls found a century and a half before, the, the time that they were put away, a century and a half before Christ, Christ coming and saying what Daniel was talking about is in the future to Christ, it is impossible for us to make a story or come to the conclusion that Daniel wrote about things in the past. We come to the book of Daniel and God knows that. He knows that there's gonna be a problem with the book of Daniel. He knows that it needs to be historically, perfectly accurate in Daniel's day so that we can accept that it will be accurate in the future. Jesus says about prophecy multiple times in the Gospels, I tell you ahead of time so that when it happens, you will believe what I say. That's what the book of Daniel is. Many of the things in the book of Daniel were written um, long before they took place, and historically he has been perfectly accurate. Not just about nations, but about individual people in those nations that would come into being hundreds of years after Daniel. So he has been accurate 100% until this time with a lot of prophecy. Therefore, we can trust that he will be accurate on the things that he writes for the future. Just to show the, the intentionality, if that's a word, of Daniel, look at Daniel 1, verse 1. Daniel marks out historically recognized people to continuously give us dates in the book of Daniel. So the book of Daniel begins in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Historically, we know that that's 605 B.C. So Daniel is telling us in his first sentence that this is when I went to Babylon and this is when I began to write. Look at the end of Verse 21, and I think I understand this verse clearer than I used to. And Daniel remained there until the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So Daniel remained in the position he was in, the place that he was in in Babylon, in the city, until the king Cyrus came on the scene. Daniel serves a few years into the king of Cyrus, we'll, we'll see that later, um, but his position in Babylon ends effectively when Babylon ends effectively, which is when King Cyrus comes on the scene. Then we go right into chapter 2. The second year of his reign, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He is telling us here that in 602 B.C., a day that is marked out secularly and historically, that's when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. He is dating these things intentionally throughout the book. In chapter 3, we have the Septuagint, which Primarily, in the next two chapters, we're going to spend a significant amount of time in Greece history, especially chapter 8, which we'll be to in two weeks. But historically, the Septuagint, which is 70, and it is given that name because 72 Jewish scholars were taken to Alexandria, Egypt, to translate the Hebrew Old Testament, the Torah, into Greek. This was for the purpose of the Greeks, but it was a great contribution to the Bible being known throughout the world, and it significantly contributes to the fact that the entire New Testament would be written in Greek. Um, So the Septuagint the number of scholars that went there, 70, and it was actually 72, but they named it the Septuagint because of the scholars that went there. The Septuagint says at the beginning of chapter 3, which is just a little while after Daniel wrote Daniel, um, a few hundred years, about less than 300 years, that it was 587 B.C., the event of the boys being, or the young men being thrown into the fiery furnace, which is the year before Judah is taken fully captive and taken to Babylon. So when we keep going in chapter 5, we know that this entire chapter takes place in a day, and that day is dated by telling us when at the end of chapter 5, We read, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So the day that Darius took over the kingdom is the day that the handwriting was on the wall in Daniel chapter 5 and that day is in 539 B.C. historically. And then we see immediately in Daniel chapter 6, we see dates being given. Look at the end of Daniel chapter 6. So Daniel prospered during, he doesn't end at the reign of Darius and Cyrus, but during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian So it's becoming a Persian, a Medo-Persian empire and Daniel continued to be faithful and to serve and prosper during their reigns and he would write the rest of his prophecies during a Persian empire. When we get to Daniel chapter 7, we're told specifically in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. That day is known historically as 553 B.C., which means that Daniel chapter 7 is about 14 years before Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 8 begins in the third year of King Belshazzar, 550 B.C., um, or 11 years before Daniel chapter 5. We get to Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius. So wait a minute here. The first year of Darius is the end of Daniel chapter 5. So the end of Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 6, and Daniel chapter 9 all happen in the same year, Daniel is telling us, historically. And these things make sense when we look at the prophecies given. Daniel chapter 10 begins with the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 536 B.C. Why is that year significant? For Daniel, this is year number 70. This is the end. The temple would be built in Jerusalem by Ezra and Zerubbabel and some others. In 536 it would be finished... And that's the end of the prophecy of Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. Daniel would sit down and write Daniel 10, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12 at one time. This is the last date in the book of Daniel. We are seeing the last year of the ministry of Daniel, beginning in Daniel chapter 10. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to divide this chapter in half, it's perfectly divided, 14 verses of what Daniel saw and 14 verses of Gabriel helping him understand what he saw. Um, We can tell a lot by simply what he saw and that's what we're going to look at today. We have seen in Daniel chapter 2 a vision of this four part statue, the head of gold being Nebuchadnezzar, then the silver being the chest and arms being Medo-Persia, and then the bronze being Greece, and then we see the legs and the feet um, being Rome and the revived Roman Empire. We're going to see those four in Daniel chapter 7, this time given directly to Daniel rather than through Nebuchadnezzar, because there is no Jewish king at that time, and Judah is being punished for their sins, here Daniel will be given directly um, prophecies that is like a grand central station. If it was a train station, this would be grand central. So if we go from Genesis 3.15 through Revelation 19, which is Armageddon, we will have every prophecy in the Bible pointing to Armageddon from Genesis 3 all making their way through Daniel chapter 7. It is a network that is formed that will touch every prophecy from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the new or to the millennium that we will see in Revelation chapter 20. Um, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1 as we begin. In the first year of Belshazzar, and as I said, that's 553 B.C., we have a 66-year-old Daniel here. Remember, he was 80 years old when he was thrown in the lion's den. Daniel 10, he'll be 84. But here he is 66 years old. Nebuchadnezzar has been off of his throne. He has been gone. He has died nine years before this. Um, And this is between him and Belshazzar. At the beginning of Belshazzar, Daniel gives us this prophecy. Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. And as I think about this this week, the things that he saw, including heaven, the Father on his throne, Jesus Christ standing before the throne, a hundred million angels he sees at one point in this prophecy. Imagine lying in bed. And you're seeing this. Not like a dream, but as if you're standing there watching it. It is a vision. It is not just a dream. It's a vision that passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of the dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts. Each different from the others came up out of the sea. So we have this word sea here, and from Genesis to Revelation, the sea is used as the source or the wellspring of sin, of Gentiles, and of nations. So when we see things come out of the sea in the Bible, it is wickedness. It is sin. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 57. We'll look at a few examples of the word see in the Bible. Isaiah 57. We're going to look at the last two verses in this chapter. The wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So here God is speaking through Isaiah, saying that the wicked are like the sea. So when you see, you watch a a TV show, has anybody ever watched The Deadliest Catch? Who would want to be on that ship? That those ships are going through the water like this, and the water is below freezing. And it's miserable out there, but it just it that's a picture I get in Isaiah 57, that the wicked are like that, the tossing and the raging sea, and it's a picture of the wicked in the Bible. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. where we see, if you're going to study one chapter in the Bible of the reign of the Antichrist, it would be this chapter, and it would be focused on the second half of the tribulation. So Daniel will take us there in Daniel chapter 7. He will take us right through Revelation 13, among other things. But we're just looking now at verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns, which Daniel will help us explain, and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. So where (coughs) where does the kingdom of the Antichrist come from? Out of the sea. This is metaphorical, and it is a picture that has been consistent through the Bible. The sea is a picture of wickedness. Turn to Revelation 20 when we see the white throne judgment, the judgment of Satan, the angels, and the lost. And in Revelation 20 and verse 13, we read, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they have done. So there's a parallel picture of Hades that is called the sea. The sea is all of the dead and wicked. Hades is the place in which they are stored. So when we see at the white throne, we will be there in person. We will see every lost person and every demon judged there. We see this description here by John of out of the sea will come the human beings that are judged. Out of the sea, the Antichrist comes, Isaiah 57. The sea and the raging waters are a picture of wickedness. Look in um, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, when we see the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was what? No longer any sea so i believe that this is a metaphorical use of the language here i would say that rather than say there won't be any bodies of water in heaven it is likely to say that there will be no wickedness when he is saying there will no longer be any sea and just a couple verses before he said, I saw the dead, give, the sea give up the dead that were in them. So the wickedness and, and the sin and the corruption and the disease and the mourning and all of those things will be gone. So if we read that together with the first four verses, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be there with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed. So the things that are found in the sea, which include death, and mourning, and crying, and pain, and sin, and wickedness, is no more in heaven. And I think that's why in verse 1 we're told, there is no longer any sea. There will be nothing ever above the surface of the earth that will be tainted in any way. I believe that every demon, Satan, and every lost person will be forever under our feet. I believe that's where Hades is now. That's where hell is waiting for its occupants. We will see in Daniel 7, the first occupants of hell, according to the Bible, Also explained in the book of Revelation. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. And we tap into this vision that Daniel sees as he is lying on his bed in the first year that this wicked king or stand-in king, Belshazzar, takes the throne. Verse 4. The first was like a lion, the first of these, verse 3, great beasts that come out of the sea. These beasts are peoples and individuals. So we see an individual and a nation described here because the most prominent person in the first statue is the most prominent person, human being, is being described here. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground and stood on two feet like a human being and had the mind of a human was given to it. So we see two things here. We see the, the first kingdom and we see the king that took down from that kingdom, Jerusalem, which is Nebuchadnezzar. So we even are given Nebuchadnezzar's testimony in Daniel's vision so that Daniel can have no doubt who this is. So we see from Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar taking Jerusalem captive. We see in Daniel chapter 4 when this king stands up proudly on his palace and says, look what all I have done. And Daniel's prophecy from 12 months earlier comes true. And he is, has the body um, features of an animal. His fingers grow out like claws and, and he's so unkempt and unshaven and unwashed that his, his hair starts to look like wings of a bird or feathers of a bird. And finally he looks up and his human mind is restored when he acknowledges God as sovereign, as Lord, Master, Ruler, king. So we see that description in this verse here describing this individual who is like a human. He's a lion but he's like a human and he, he, he has features of an animal but he's given a human mind and it's giving us the testimony that Nebuchadnezzar gives us himself in chapter 4. Turn back to chapter 2 where we see this same person described through Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In chapter 2, verse 37, we read about Nebuchadnezzar as being the head of gold. Verse 37, Your majesty, you are the king of kings, Daniel is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field the birds in the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. So in our prophecies here that we have in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and Daniel 8, in Daniel 2 and in Daniel 7, Daniel 2 he says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. So it is Babylon, it represents Babylon, but Daniel says in both Daniel 2 and in Daniel's vision that it's an individual, it's a person. It is this Nebuchadnezzar named after the god Nebo, um, and he is humbled and he is put in his place, he gives us his testimony, he confesses God as sovereign, and we have both Daniel 2 and Daniel 4 incorporated into this One verse, that is Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4. Daniel 7 and verse 5 now. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh." So we have metaphors here that are are describing the attributes of the Medo-Persian Empire. And those will become more clear as we look at Daniel chapter 8 and we move forward in the book of Daniel. But what the metaphors represent is this bear, this this ferocious carnivore describing Medo-Persia. It was raised up on one of its sides. It will be described in chapter 8 as having one horn longer than the other. Medo-Persia has Mede starting to lead this nation and before very long it becomes a Persian empire. So the raised up on one side of this beast represents Persia in this Medo-Persian empire. And then he says this bear is standing there with three Ribs in his mouth, and Medo-Persia has, on its way to Babylon, it takes over Babylon, 539 B.C., that's one of the ribs. It has recently taken over Egypt, that's one of the ribs. And then Lydia, or some would refer to Assyria, the previous empires have all been overcome now by this empire. And that's the three ribs in its mouth. And then God says to this empire... Have your way. Go ahead. And this empire, this Persian empire, will have eternal impact on the kingdom of God. The temple will be rebuilt at the order of Cyrus the Persian. We have um, in Nehemiah chapter 2 that Daniel's prophecy from chapter 9 will be fulfilled. Nehemiah 2 is 90 years after Daniel writes, and it is a Persian king, Artaxerxes, that writes this decree. And when the Jews are going to be annihilated years after that by Haman, the Agagite, in the book of Esther, it is Xerxes, a Persian king, who rescues the Jews. So this is going to have a huge impact here. If we went into Isaiah, I think chapter 45, near the end of the chapter, there's an extensive writing about God's anointing being on Cyrus the Persian. We looked last week at this sequence where a mead appointed by Cyrus sees Daniel rescued from the lion's den sends out a message to the world, Daniel's God is the God. And then, at this same time, Daniel is writing Daniel chapter 9. Daniel obviously sends a memo to Ezra, who is a captive in Babylon. Ezra gets the memo, goes to Cyrus. Cyrus says, "I'll, I'll pay the tab. I'll allow anyone to go. Whatever you need, build his temple. And I would find it hard to believe that this Cyrus, who is living 220 years after the book of Isaiah has been finished, hasn't been shown by someone that God's anointing is on you. You, Cyrus are the one that the God of heaven has chosen to rebuild his dwelling place. And he accepts that. So this is a significant empire here. This nation grows quickly. It has a two-million-person army that sweeps across the world. And unlike most of the kingdoms isn't ruthless, isn't self-serving as much and its leaders are used and there's such an impact that we go forward 550 years and seemingly the only people on earth that know that this baby in the manger is a king, messiah, sovereign are Persians because they are the ones who come and give gold, frankincense and myrrh king, anointing, burial. They know who he is. They know what his purpose is. And the the people that come from Persia to the manger are known as king makers. They put kings in Persia on thrones. And they're saying, this is the king. This is the one. And Herod is terrified. Verse 6 You see in your notes there from um, 539 B.C. to 330 B.C. is the the time period of the reign of the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, So verse 6 we read, After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back... It had four wings, like that, like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. So each of these nations, though they are world takeovers, are all given and ordained to do what they do by the God of heaven. So we see here, Sherry sent me a, a picture earlier this year, if, if you go in the front of the United Nations building you see this enormous statue of this leopard with wings from Daniel chapter 7. You see this enormous monument in front of the United Nations, which takes, I think it's Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, and the first part of that verse is about God and what he's going to do, and they chop that off, and they make it say that the United Nations will do it. We will accomplish it that we will make people beat their swords into plowshares, not God. And they have this picture of this leopard, which is actually a picture of Alexander the Great and his takeover in the Bible. Let's go back to um, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, and we can serve two purposes here. We'll see... Medo-Persia in the first half of verse 39 and we will see Greece in the second half of verse 39 in Nebuchadnezzar's vision. So verse 39 um, of chapter 2, after you another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. That's Medo-Persia. Individually no one will ever have power like the person in Nebuchadnezzar. So that's Medo-Persia. Next, a third kingdom one of bronze will rule over the whole earth. So the bronze here is that leopard, that winged leopard in Daniel chapter 7. And the, the one that's inferior to his is that bear that we see in chapter 7. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8, verse 21. Well, Actually, we'll start in verse 20 and we'll serve two purposes here as well. In this vision, we don't have to say, figure it out, look at the times, when when were the kings. Daniel tells us specifically here. The two-horned ram in this vision that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So the silver in chapter 2 and the bear in chapter 7 is a two-horned ram in chapter 8, and we're told directly here that that's Medo-Persia. We see the bronze in chapter 2 and this leopard with wings in chapter 7. Here we see, verse 21, the shaggy goat is the king of Greece and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. So we are told specifically before Daniel dies in the Medo-Persian's earliest years that... Long after the Medo-Persians, another kingdom will come and it will be Greece. And then we're told by Daniel that the first king is the one that's the shaggy goat here and is the leopard with wings in chapter 7 and is the bronze in chapter 2. So we are told specifically in our Bibles about Alexander the Great. We are pointed directly to him. There is no mistaking historically from Daniel chapter 8 specifically that this Jewish man, prisoner in Babylon, calls out Alexander the Great hundreds of years before he exists. This is why people have trouble with the book of Daniel. How can anyone do that? Daniel told us us in chapter 2, I can't. But he can. He can tell us what happens before it happens. So, in, like I said, in this time period, which you have there, 330 to 166 B.C., a lot happens. The Septuagint, um, not too long after Alexander takes over and a- Alexander dies, they still go to Alexandria, Egypt, and they begin translating the Bible as the Septuagint. This is the Hellenization of the world. The Hellenistic period of Greece is to make people Greek. Make them talk Greek, make them read Greek, make them know who Zeus is and Apollos is and Diana is and these Greek gods and goddesses who Europa is. Europa is a goddess in the Greek Mythology, that is, the woman on the beast, and Revelation 17. So you will see statues of Europa all around Europe, which is the Antichrist's final kingdom, which Daniel will describe to us in Daniel chapter 7. So this Hellenistic period also has a huge influence. God uses them to put his Torah in a language that will be read by more people. He makes the Greek language the most widely spread language during this period of this empire. It is so influential that the New Testament is written in Greek. And the the disciples are speaking both Aramaic from Babylon and Greek, many of them more affluently than they are Hebrew. Hebrew by the time Jesus comes on the scene. So if we went to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, we would read that the Hellenistic Jews were debating with the Hebraic Jews over their widows being taken care of. So the Hellenization is fully active when Jesus comes on the scene. The Hellenization leads to You see there in your your notes the next thing, which is the Hasmonean period. So between Antiochus Epiphanes, who is the person who desecrates the temple, out of that comes Judas Maccabee, out of that comes Mattathias, a priest, who starts priest rule over Israel. So the debate in Acts chapter 6 isn't just who's being taken care of, it is who is in charge. Because the priests in Jesus' day were saying, we're in charge. The Jews from Judah were saying, the Messiah is in charge. So the debate in Acts chapter 6 is much deeper than who's getting fed. It's who's in charge. The Hasmonean period is from Hanukkah which is celebrated in John chapter 10, to Herod. When Herod comes on the scene in 63 B.C., through the birth of Christ, he says, no more priests leading Jerusalem. I lead Jerusalem. And I appoint the priests. So the priests from 63 B.C. forward were appointed by the Roman government. But what happens in this Hellenistic period of the Greeks ruling the world has a great impact on the the city of Jerusalem and Judah. Back to Daniel chapter 7. Verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. We just read about that in Revelation. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, This is the Antichrist, and it will become clear as we go through the chapter. Which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Daniel is seeing here, and we will see as Daniel asks for an interpretation, he will ask it, I'm paraphrasing him, Help me understand this vision, and especially the fourth beast. I want to know what the fourth beast is. Because Daniel is literally nauseous as he's looking at the rise of the Antichrist and what the Antichrist is going to do in Jerusalem and how it is so much, even in the vision, more terrifying, more frightening, more powerful, completely different than the rest of them. He is looking at the kingdom of the Antichrist in the tribulation which I believe will be central to the European Union as we move forward. Um, Turn in your book of Daniel to chapter 9 and verse 26. Daniel 9 and verse 26. We tell us... Daniel will tell us from history here, which is prophecy to him, but it's history to us. In verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. This is the 62 sevens and the seven sevens that are from Nehemiah 2, 5 through 8 until Jesus on Palm Sunday, to the day. After that, Daniel says the anointed one will be cut off. Isaiah 53. He is cut off from the land of the living, Isaiah writes. The people, this is an important sentence, the people of the ruler who will come, a.k.a. Antichrist, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Daniel is telling us here where the Antichrist will come from. So to Daniel, this is prophecy. To Jesus, it was prophecy. To John, it was reality. Why, how can I say that? Because John lived until the turn of the century. And we know that what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, that because they didn't recognize what Daniel told them to recognize, the city will be surrounded and siege works will come around it and they will destroy the city and the temple. And 37 years after Jesus said that, the temple was completely destroyed by Rome. Daniel says here that the ruler is going to come from the people who destroyed the temple. Rome. So in Daniel chapter 2, we see a prophecy of the fourth kingdom, which is Rome. And then we see in Daniel chapter 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's vision a description of the revived Roman Empire. In Daniel chapter 7, we see Rome as the fourth empire, but we see a description of the revived Roman Empire. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. We were there a little bit ago. This is the revived Roman Empire. This is the beast. The dragon, the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7, is the beast coming out of the sea in Revelation 13. So in Revelation 13, the dragon just kicked out of heaven, Revelation chapter 12, losing a war to Michael, trying to kill every Jew, every Christian, every person who might follow Christ. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, which we read in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. It had ten horns and seven heads. We read that in Daniel chapter 7. With ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. There's Greece. But it had feet like a bear, there's Medo-Persia. And it had a mouth like that of a lion, there's Babylon. So out of the sea here is all of the Gentile nations that will rule, oppress, and inflict punishment on Judah. And when he sees this coming up out of the sea, John sees the leopard, the bear, and the lion all in one. The fourth beast is the revived Roman Empire and it includes all of the nations who are against God and rule over Jerusalem. So verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard but it had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have been a fatal wound. This is a impersonation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by the Antichrist. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. The dragon is impersonating God the Father who gave authority to his son Jesus Christ, John chapter 5. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? That's what Daniel's writing about in Daniel chapter 7 as we go back there. Go back to Daniel chapter 7 as he is describing what John is describing in Revelation 13. So if we go back to Daniel chapter 2 for a minute. Again, we see the fourth kingdom. We know the fourth kingdom is Rome. But the description here, like Daniel 7, describes the revived Roman Empire. Beginning in verse 40 of Daniel chapter 2. Finally, there was a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For it breaks and smashes everything. And its iron breaks things to pieces. So it will crush and break all the others. This will only happen in the, in the tribulation. Verse 41. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were of partly baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have s- some of the strength of iron in it even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Turn back to chapter 7. So in Nebuchadnezzar's vision here, he is seeing the most terrifying, the most powerful, and the strongest of all these kingdoms. And he is seeing in that chapter that their feet and toes are iron mixed with clay, which doesn't mix real good. What it means is that you have some iron there that gives some strength. You have some clay there, which is brittle, and you could crack it and make it fall apart. And you, you go into the European Union in 2021, and you hear things like Brexit, and you hear things like Greece doesn't want to be in the European Union anymore, and you hear things like Italy wants to have their leader be the leader of all of the European Union. And you have all of this dissension and holding together at the same time. Iron mixed with baked clay. And Daniel will describe it even further and more specifically in Daniel chapter 7 when he describes this same kingdom. So we go back to Daniel chapter 7 after seeing the four kingdoms. Suddenly Daniel's vision goes upward. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9 As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Imagine you're having a vision and all of a sudden you see heaven. You see thrones put in place, 24 of them. And then you see God the Father take his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was as white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. Sounds like Ezekiel. A river was, of fire was f- flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. That's a hundred million, Daniel sees. The court was seated, and the books, were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Not into the holding place, not into the abyss, not into Hades, hell. This is the first resident of hell. Jesus says in the Gospels, hell was created for the devil and his angels. The first resident of hell is this Satan-indwelt human being known as the Antichrist. So a thousand years before Satan is in hell, this person is in hell. Revelation 19 and verse 20. So, Revelation 19 and verse 20 tell us that the Antichrist and the false prophet are both thrown into hell as the first residents. The next individual thrown into hell will be Satan a thousand years later. And John will record it like this. Then he was thrown into hell where the false prophet and the beast were thrown. So for a thousand years, it will just be the Antichrist and the beast in hell, then Satan, then the demons, and then everyone who refused the truth. Should we share Christ with our neighbors? Should we keep them from that place? Imagine being the first human judged and you're dropped into this pit where the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan and every fallen angel fill this pit. And it's described as blazing fire in Revelation and in Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel says um, again in verse 11, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words this horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beast had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And that time will be given in verse 25 next week. Verse 13. In my vision at night, I look And there before me was one like a son of man, and whenever you read son of man in the New Testament, and Jesus uses it whenever he imposes his authority, it comes from this verse. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Whenever you see the angel coming with clouds, it's always Christ in the Bible, whether it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether it's the Shekinah glory in Exodus, it's always Christ. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Turn back to chapter 2 and see the same conclusion of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, verse 44. These are fulfillments of Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. In the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. As we see Daniel seeing this incredible vision There are so many purposes in this vision that Daniel is seeing. So he is seeing all of the Gentile rules over Jerusalem and then suddenly he sees a throne. The Father taking his seat. A hundred million angels gathered around the throne. And the primary purpose of this is a demonstration of the Son of Man, what that means So Daniel sees him come up to this majestic throne of the Father and he sees him receive from him power and glory and authority and all the nations will worship him. And he sees thrones encircling this throne of the Father as well and he just sees them empty. John is seeing the same vision post-rapture Pre-tribulation. So because of John, we know that the vision in Daniel of the throne in heaven is right before the tribulation. Because right after John's vision in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus breaks the first seal. Revelation 6, verse 1. The first judgment from God to fall in the tribulation. The rise of the Antichrist. So, in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, don't let Jason distract you, John comes into this vision. Post-rapture, a lot of similarities, a few differences. Then I saw the right hand of him who, who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So John sees the Ancient of Days. He sees that he's about to endorse the authority of the Son of Man that, that Daniel sees. But John sees a scroll that is full of writing on both sides. It has seven seals wrapped around it. So it would be like you have a scroll, break a seal, open. Another seal, open. Another seal, open. Another seal, open. Another seal, open. And we are, we are being asked, in a sense... Who can open this by the Father? And John himself will ask, Who can open this? And Daniel is seeing, Who's this Son of Man approaching God Almighty and given the authority from Him over everything? It is the Son of Man. Verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Elders, there's no elders in the book of Daniel. Why is there no elders in the book of Daniel? Because Daniel knows nothing about the church and nothing about the rapture. This is one of many proofs in the book of Revelation. The rapture has happened. The tribulation has not begun. The elders are from the church and they're in heaven and they have their glorified bodies, their robes, and their crowns. Meaning the rapture has happened. and We saw it happen at the beginning of chapter 4. So, Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we have the lion and the lamb we sing. Where's Big Daddy Weave? get that from? Revelation 5.5 and Revelation 5.6. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne, by the encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Seven, seven, seven. Where else do we hear a number in the Bible? Six, six, six. So Revelation 5-6 is 777. Seven, seven. And we will see that number more as we continue. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals why because you were slain what did we read today in acts 1731 that he has appointed his servant to judge and he has given him authority over all and he has proven this by raising him from the dead that's the same thing that these singers and harp players are saying in heaven They're saying, you are worthy to open the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be, and Daniel will go into this next week, a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. He's talking about you and I among many others there. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Daniel 7.10, 100 million angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power, one, wealth, two, wisdom, three, strength, four, honor, five, glory, six, praise, seven. That's the perfection of our Messiah in all of his glory. Verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea not in the sea, on the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and to the Lamb, later in Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days, Son of God, Son of Man, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Turn to chapter 11 in Revelation real quick. We will summarize everything that we've looked at today in one verse. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us in advance. Thank you for giving us so many fulfilled already prophecies from Daniel. There can be no doubt that anything this man put on paper while your Holy Spirit was with him is going to take place exactly as he wrote it. Lord, it is, it is easier for me to be amazed by this information than it is to be moved enough by it to share the gospel with someone I'm not ready to share the gospel with. Change that in me. Change that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.